Let's open our Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 19 for the second part of this message, that this sermon, part two. I word the title a little different every time I say it, but... Ten evidences of a thriving ministry. And we looked at the first three last week. All right, now let's pray again. Can't ever pray enough, right? But now we're coming to that time that we've set aside for the Lord's word. And so we especially need that guidance and help in learning from him. You'll hear my voice in the room, but in your heart. You want the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, right? That's what Jesus said. So let's pray and ask the Lord for that. Most holy Lord God in heaven, now we come to you again because we are privileged and blessed to do so. We don't walk through this life without guidance from you. You created the world and we see the evidence of your creation. You spoke to the world by Jesus your son and you called us to salvation through Jesus your son. And now you continue to minister and to teach us so that we don't walk through life alone as you have promised. You are always with us. You speak to us through the scriptures, Lord God. You teach us by your own comforting presence, the Holy Spirit living in us. And we rejoice. As I dare to open my mouth and and speak on behalf of you, I pray, Lord God, that it would be you that your beloved hear from today, myself included, that you would minister to us through the powerful teaching of your word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Now, uh, let's go ahead and I'll just tell you before I read anything out of the Bible that we were looking at this passage that started in chapter 19 and verse 8 when uh, Paul went into the synagogue and began to teach and uh, then he ended up going and setting up shop in the school of Tyrannus after he received that opposition in the, uh, the, the, the synagogue, and we'll talk about some of that some more today. Um, but the first three points that we saw were in this list of ten evidences of a thriving ministry was, number one, this ministry started with God, right? Every thriving ministry starts not with men, but with God. Now, God used a man, But it started with a man that God chose, God saved, God equipped, and God sent. But it started with God. If you remember last week, we went back and looked at chapter 9 when Jesus, from heaven, spoke and brought who was then known as Saul, the Apostle Paul, to salvation and called him and even said to Ananias, one of his servants, that Uh, this is my chosen vessel to stand before kings and preach the gospel the Gentiles, Jews started with God started with the sovereign power the sovereign authority the sovereign choice of God that's number one every thriving ministry starts with God number two we saw boldness in the apostle Paul and his companions right and we took a look at the passage of scripture where Peter and John were before the Sanhedrin, they were making all sorts of accusations, and Peter and John were responding with great truth and great boldness, and, they, and it says they noted that they had been with Jesus. So we saw that boldness, 
Boldness to share the gospel is always the characteristic of a thriving ministry. Right? Any real ministry, what it's after first and foremost is to share and glorify and uphold and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and then make disciples of those who believe it. That's the centerpiece of every ministry is to preach the word of God to the lost that they might be saved, to preach the word of God to the saved that they might grow and reach more people with the gospel. And that's what you saw happening here in Ephesus. And they had boldness that they operated in to do that. And you get that boldness from God. You pray and you ask, just like that church did back in chapter 4. They went before the Lord and they prayed and said, Lord, give us boldness. And they were really asking for boldness to do the thing that they had been commanded not to do. The religious leaders threatened them and said, don't you speak in the name of Jesus anymore. They went back, they got apart, they prayed to the Lord, said, Lord, look at their threats and give us boldness to speak in the name of Jesus. Right? Stretch out your hand and do signs and wonders and, and everything else. And you saw that great passage. The Lord shook, physically shook the place where they were praying. And they went and spread the word everywhere. Number three, this is maybe my favorite point of the ten uh, they knew what they were about, right? They, they, they didn't mess around with a lot of stuff. They didn't become embattled in the, 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 the political issues of the day, which all had to do with they hated the government. I mean, I mean the, Jewish people, the Jewish people hated the Roman government, and they wanted them gone. And they saw all talk of Messiah as being strictly about a social and political and military kind of thing. You know, when Messiah comes, the Romans are gone and we're going to establish our kingdom again. And, and because they were so focused on that, they missed out on what really the mission of Messiah was, which was to die to atone for sin so that God could establish his own kingdom. His own kingdom, which is made up of those who would believe the gospel. And then the ultimate glorification of that kingdom comes after this age is over. But Jesus says, I'm with you even until the end of the age Right as we walk and he continues to build his kingdom through us. But they knew what they were about. They spoke, they reasoned, they persuaded, all concerning the things of what? The kingdom of the Romans? The kingdom of the Jews? No, the kingdom of God. They knew what they were about. right? And they were focused on their mission. That's another mark of a thriving ministry. And when I say thriving, I don't necessarily mean big. I mean a ministry that is truly at work, in the will of God, fulfilling God's purposes, right? So now we're up to number four. Let's read the passage again to just be reminded of what's going on, and then we'll pick up the verse by verse with number four and just take, take as much of it today as a reasonable amount of time permits. So start in verse eight. He went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. That's basically as far as we got, one verse. Now, verse 9. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. 
Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did also. And the evil spirit answered and said, the words of an evil spirit, quoted right in the middle of a passage. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, who are you? That would have indicated trouble, which indeed is what happened. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And that was the end of the ministry and Paul decided to leave. Oh no, that's not what it says. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Right? So we've seen the first three marks of a truly thriving ministry, all neatly contained in the first verse of that, in verse 8. So now let's forge ahead. All right? See verse 9? What happens? But when some were hardened and did not believe, and stop right there. So what, what is another mark of a ministry that's truly thriving in the name of the Lord? I mean, you, you expect that the mark would be lots of people coming in. But the mark of this thriving ministry was the opposite. Lots of opposition. Right? That was a mar- that's a mark of a thriving ministry. You know they're preaching the truth, not just because there are people getting saved, But there are people who don't like it. And there are people whose hearts were actually hardened. In the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah is called to go and to preach, his mission, he is told in that mission, go and preach to these people and harden harden their hearts. God was getting ready to judge the people. So Isaiah's mission was actually to go to preach the truth so that God would harden their hearts and bring forth his judgment. Right? We don't always look at it in that sense. And sometimes we get discouraged because, sometimes I do, I talk to enough of you personally where you probably know that I do, but even if you don't, you know it's got to be true. You know, you look and you preach and you labor and you just give out the gospel and you try to be faithful to the word of God and it sometimes just doesn't seem like many people buy into it. In fact, it seems like a lot of people oppose to it and resist it and fight against it. Well, guess what? That's the mark of God being at work, right? That's the mark of the truth being preached. You might be a little concerned if you go out and you preach the truth. You preach what you think you're preaching is the truth. And everyone just loves it. I mean, Jesus said, woe to you when men speak well of you. You know? So that's one of the marks of a thriving ministry, believe it or not. Look what it goes on to say. It says, when some were hardened and did not believe. We're still in the synagogue here. But look at this. They spoke evil of the way before the multitude. Let's consider that statement. They didn't just not agree. They didn't just passively and politely not agree. But they actually did what? They actually lifted up their voices and either in the gatherings or most likely behind Paul's back went and undermined his work. 
So Paul is getting up and he's preaching the truth of the gospel in the synagogue. And then when the services are over, those who were hardened and did not believe started to do their dirty work. Oh no, oh no, oh no, right? And just started like undermining the work. Did you know that that's actually, that's the word for that that you see in the New Testament is reproach. To reproach someone or to reproach something means to speak evil of them or to speak evil of it. Reproach is the act of basically persecuting something with your mouth, persecuting something with your words. Do you know what the Apostle Peter said about reproach? He said this, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, listen to this, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Basically what Peter does is he says, don't think it's strange when people speak against you. It's perfectly normal. And actually you should rejoice because when Christ appears, you'll appear with him and you'll have rejoicing. Why? Because when Jesus was here, they reproached him. You're being, listen, and that's, that's the, there's so much about Christianity that is counterintuitive. You know, we try to take, this, this is why the scripture says not to be conformed to this world any longer, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way you think about things and the way things go down, the way things happen in the world, don't take what you learn about the normal operations of life and try to apply them to the kingdom of God. That's why that other point was so important. They knew what they were about. They were to teach the kingdom. We're not trying to teach people to fit into a, a political worldview or something. Right? The kingdom of God is different. You go and you preach and you speak the truth. And if you're reproached for that, rejoice because you're getting treated the way the Lord was. And when the Lord appears, you'll appear with Him. And then what? Then you're going to really rejoice, which is what he says. It says that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Listen, preach. Reach out to people. Preach to them. Share the gospel with them. Focus on what we're supposed to focus on. The issues of the kingdom of God. And when people reproach you for it, say, must be working. It doesn't get a lot of amens. It doesn't hear some. But that's the truth. Listen, Peter, after that, he says this, ready? Still in Peter's verse here. This is verse 14 of 1 Peter 4. He says, if you are reproached, okay, you know what reproach means. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Straight out of the Bible, verbatim. Here's why you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Upon their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. There's that counterintuitive God not caring about the sensibilities or reasonabilities of men, but choosing the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. When my people are reproached, the reproachers are blaspheming God but my people who are being reproached are glorifying me by their endurance of the hardship. That's the way of the Lord. 
We have to be New Testament people. We need to be New Covenant believers. We have to be Christians who view life in this world through the prism of God's wisdom and God's truth. We must not look at this world as a permanent place, but as a temporary place wherein we have been called to serve. And as we serve the Lord, if we bear reproach, we're actually being honored and blessed by God because He is glorified in it. And then He warns, look, verse 15, just in case you think like, well, people are speaking evil of me. That must mean I'm glorifying God. You make sure they're speaking evil of you for the right reason. He goes on to say, but, but, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Right? If you're suffering because that, that's not persecution. You're not glorifying God if you're suffering that way. You're actually bringing shame to the Lord if you're suffering because of those things. Right? So you've got to guard your testimony. Right? If, yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. That is the word of the Lord. You understand? You got it? That's God's word. You go, fill up on that passage. You want something to chew on in your mind this afternoon. Go read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, and really carefully meditate on what it's saying there. All right, so that's the fourth point. The fourth point, the fourth evidence of a thriving ministry is that not everybody likes it. <laughs> not everybody approves of it. And it even suffers undermining. You understand? People even speak against it. Because it's telling the truth. And the prince of this world, Satan, the devil, does not like it. And he does not sit idle. Walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Spiritual warfare is not some science fiction flick. Spiritual warfare is absolutely real, tangible and real. And when a church or a ministry or a person purposes to obey God in sharing the gospel and making disciples, expect opposition and rejoice when it comes. That is an evidence of a thriving ministry. There it is. Now, number five. Ready to go on? Shake your head yes, because here we go. Um, so, what did they do in response to this? They departed from them, withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. What is the school of Tyrannus? I don't know either. But we know that Tyrannus is a proper name, and uh, a couple of commentaries that I read about this said that uh, the idea of school, in some ways of rendering the Greek word that's translated that way, uh, refers to basically like a lecture hall. I mean, basically, basically a person named Tyrannus had a hall that he operated. And he, just like today, if you had a wedding reception or something, you'd go in, you'd rent a hall. That's what the church did. They were getting opposition in the synagogue, so Paul took the disciples out of the synagogue, which is, praise the Lord, even though he was being some opposed, there were some who believed. And Paul said, you know what? These people aren't going to listen. These people are going to fight against it. These people are undermining what we're trying to do. Let's pull our money together. Let's go rent this hall over here, and we're going to teach. And that's what they did. right? So they went over, they rented a hall, and they taught. And guess what God did? He blessed it, as you'll see as we go forward. But what's the mark here? Even though they faced opposition, 
Mark number five, evidence number five of a thriving ministry is even when they face opposition, they keep going. You understand? They just keep going. And people may look at them and say, why do you stay at it? Why do you keep doing it? What do you mean? And you answer like the apostles did. We can't but keep going. We're here. We're here because the Lord has saved us. And we know that the word of the Lord is true. You know, and we're just going to keep preaching the gospel. We're going to keep worshiping the Lord. We're going to keep studying our Bibles. We're going to keep encouraging the people that come in to go out and minister to the Lord. We're going to keep trying to love one another and fellowship with one another and share with one another. We're going to keep doing all the things that we do. That's what thriving ministries do. They keep going. Jesus said, when he, had, when he was still alive on the earth, he said, now whatever city or town you enter, inquire in it who is worthy and stay there till you go out. It's a little different setting, different situation, but the spirit behind it is the same thing. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or that city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable, more tolerable, there you go, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That's how Jesus sent his own followers out. You go to a place, if they receive you, great, let your peace remain there. In other words, stay there, and you keep preaching and teaching. If they don't receive you, Shake off the dust of your feet, go somewhere else. Not give up. Not assume, well, the Lord's not with me. No. The, 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 the not receiving you very well may be the mark that the Lord is with you. And so you move on. And you go somewhere. Listen, you can apply the principle, not the exact thing, but the principle you can apply even to your own personal evangelism. You share the gospel but you don't get too bent out of shape if one person persecutes you or mocks you or doesn't listen to it. Move on to somebody else. Yeah, you know, one of the things about evangelism is like Jesus said in the, the part in the woman at the well story, after the woman leaves to go into the town to tell all of the guys there what was going on about Jesus and his own disciples came back to them, you know, Jesus in that part of the conversation said, you know, you all understand that harvest time comes once a year. I say to you, lift up your eyes and look. The fields are already white for harvest. Right? Speaking of the fact that there's always people who need to hear the gospel. There's always people. Listen, don't, don't get all wrapped up in like the things that drag you down. Just be faithful, man. You just keep sowing seeds and, and you just keep preaching the gospel and you just trust in the Lord and, and you just keep going forth. Listen, part of the parable of the sower Right? The parable of the sower, which is recorded in other places, but also in Matthew chapter 13. When Jesus gets to the point where he explains the parable to them, he says, He who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. See, the mark of someone who's not a believer is that even though they hear the gospel and they'll profess to believe it, just they're just gone they, they don't stick with it they don't stay with it it says when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word immediately he stumbles that's what ray comfort and others would call a false convert right that's someone who doesn't really believe because when the persecution comes or any trouble comes any intrusion upon their personal comfort comes boom it's gone it's over 
I mean, Christianity's good for them when it's comfortable for them, when it fits into what they want their life to be. Then they're, then they're good with it. But when any sort of trouble comes, they're gone. that's like the person, the seed that falls on stony ground. Then he says, now he who received the seed among thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful, right? There's another person who's not really a believer because they hear the word of God, but when it comes to actually like serving and producing fruit, they're not able to and they never do because they love this world too much. The deceitfulness of riches, it says. The cares of this world. All of that stuff chokes the word off in them and so they bear no fruit. Right? So like if Paul and his team in Ephesus, when they receive this opposition for the word, if they just decide to pack up, you know, give up, or just decide, boy, the Lord must not be in this because of all this up. You know, you kind of question, boy, what, where's their faith? They really leave. But one of the reasons you know it's a thriving ministry is that it didn't happen. It wasn't like seed that fell on stony ground. It wasn't like seed that fell among the thorns. It was like the seed that fell on the good ground. He who received the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So different degrees of fruit. But one of the marks of a thriving ministry is that even in the face of opposition, they continue to move forward and they continue to bear fruit. All right? So now you've got one through five on this list, just like that. Let me review one through five, since we're halfway through the list, and then we'll press into the second half. Marks of a truly thriving ministry, evidences of a truly thriving ministry. Number one, started with God himself. He called his servant to himself. Number two, boldness. Number three, they knew what they were about. They spoke and reasoned in the word of God and didn't get distracted with a bunch of other stuff. Number four, they faced opposition. And number five, they pressed forward in the face of that opposition. Okay? All right? That's the first half of this. Now, here we go into the next part, which... Uh, well, before we do, I pointed this out last week, but we're up to verse 10, so I'll point it out again. This continued for two years. So they go to the synagogue, and they were there for a number of months, three months, it told us back in verse 8. So after three months in the synagogue, they leave, and they go to this school of Tyrannus and set up shop, and they stay for two years. And look at the, look at the report. All who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Can, can you? Look. There's no internet. There's no television. There's no radio. There's, there isn't even any printing. It's all word of mouth. And so you have the Apostle Paul set up in Ephesus, which is this major traveling hub. We know from reading through the rest of the New Testament that places like... Uh, Colossae and Laodicea and, and even if you read about the if you read the opening chapters of Revelation and you read the letters that Jesus speaks to be given to those seven churches, they're all in that region as well, western Turkey, which back then would have been known as Asia, right? Uh, it would seem that the Apostle Paul setting up this place and using it for two years, people would come in. They'd hear the word of God, and as they would continue on, and spread, they'd just spread the word wherever they went. 
So it all started with God choosing as one person. And at this point, what's happening is, even through facing opposition and everything else, you have people coming and going, coming and going, coming and going, and hearing the word of God so that all throughout Asia, they heard the word of God. Don't think of like what's called Asia today. You're thinking of like that land that's called Turkey today, right? Throughout that whole region, everyone heard the word of God without the use of any modern technology, without the use of any modern gimmicks. That was God at work. Even though it started off with a few really difficult months in a synagogue where they were being undermined. But they stayed with it. And look what it became. That's the mark of a thriving ministry. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's Galatians 6. Amen? All right. Now, let's go on. Verse 11. Next. Now, these next two points have the same title. But I call one part one and I call the other part two. Worked out well for me. Helped me to stretch it out so I could have a list of ten. Because nobody does lists of nine, right? I mean, where, where do you see a list of nine anything, right? So, so it has to be a list of ten. So anyway, here we go. But actually, it's legit though, you'll see. So first thing we're told here, verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Point number six. God was involved. Part one. God was involved. Part one. What is this issue? I was reading, I think it was J. Vernon McGee's commentary on this passage. And he said the idea of these handkerchiefs and aprons were probably a reference to the fact that the Apostle Paul supported himself. He had a job. And he supported himself. I mean, the church supported him too. We know that. You can read that in his, in his correspondence to the other churches. But we also know that he had a side gig, we might say, uh, that he had worked for a while with Ananias and Sapphira, and he made tents. And the idea here of the, word that gets, the words that are translated handkerchiefs and aprons are, they were like sweat rags. And the Apostle Paul would be like, he'd be working and working and working in a hot climate and everything else is making his tents and he'd wipe his sweat. And people would come and they'd take the handkerchiefs that Paul had wiped his brow with. They'd take them to other people and lay them on other people, which at first is like, that sounds a little gross. But they'd lay them on other, but they'd lay them on other people and if they were sick, they'd recover. What is that? That's a little different than the televangelist like, you know, who sends you some stupid little cloth in the mail and if this stuff comes to you, tear it up and throw it away. It's nonsense. But they, they, you know, they send it to you and they say that it was anointed with something and then they tell you to put it in your wallet and, you know, and fold it up and, 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 and send them an offering and then poof, all your financial trouble is going to go out. You know that that's nonsense, right? You know that they base it on this. You know, which is, is garbage. Just, just, just dismiss it out of hand, right? It's nonsense. But the real point of this is what? Hey, listen, man, I got a handkerchief here that I've been wipe, wiping all the time, you know? So if y'all, if y'all want to take this and try it, go right ahead. I don't, I, don't, I don't recommend it. Sometimes I wipe my nose on it, too. So, don't, so, so let's, let's not, it's, it's the age of COVID, man. Don't, don't, be like, don't be like getting involved with all that stuff, right? 
What's the real point? You miss The point is not the handkerchiefs and the aprons. The point is God was involved with what they were doing. They were faithful, and who was there with them? God. Their faithfulness to God and God's faithfulness to them. God was in the work. God was involved, part one. Uh, now read the next part of this. Num- verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Right? So, so you have these mystical practitioners of Judaism who saw, who were aware of the miraculous that was going on in the ministry of Paul. And so they deigned to take it upon themselves to just do it. See, they saw, they saw the potential for success for their own ministry. Or maybe there was just a fascination, a carnal, evil fascination with the supernatural. Which is not what we're called to, by the way. We're not called to a fascination with the supernatural. We're called to love God. Yeah. Right? And if God intervenes in his sovereignty in some way that leaves our minds blown and we and we worship him for his miraculous grace, then so be it. Amen. Praise the Lord. But it's not for us to conjure it up. See, I don't think Paul had any intention of wiping the sweat off of his brow and having that cause miracles. That's just God intervened. Miraculously, right? I think, I, but these guys, they saw an opportunity, much like the modern scheming charlatan. So, so what, what they do is they just take it upon themselves to go to people who they saw had evil spirits and they would speak in the name of Jesus, even though they had no idea who Jesus was. They had no faith or understanding in the gospel itself, the Spirit of God did not dwell in them. And so they go to this guy. There's, there's, there's a guy named Sceva who apparently had seven sons. And, and that's what his sons spent their day doing. I mean, I mean, good that dad raised his sons to love each other and to work together and everything else. But man, should have picked something else to do. I think, right? So, so these seven sons of this guy named Sceva, who was a Jewish chief priest... It, 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 they have them doing this and they say things like, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Verse 14 identifies the family that they're from. And so the, the evil spirit in one of these people speaks. It's creepy, right? But, it, but listen, this is real. It speaks and says to these charlatans, Jesus I know, And Paul I know, but who are you? And then, just so you know, just so you know that the spiritual realm is real. Just so you know that there is invisible wickedness at work in the minds and in the hearts of people through various things. Just so you know that Entertaining yourself with things that glorify things that are evil and spiritual and wicked. Things that glorify death or glorify the evil realm. You're opening yourself to influences that are negative, that can grip you and are real. 
Just so you know that. We are told here that the evil spirit in the man caused the man with apparently Superman-like strength to jump on these seven, seven guys and attack them and beat them up to the point where they ran away naked. Which sounds funny, right? But listen, it's pretty serious. Seven guys couldn't even control one guy to the point where they could keep their own clothes on their backs. That's the wicked, evil, spiritual realm. That's a manifestation of it right there. It's real, it's wicked, it's more powerful than you and I. It's more powerful. It's why you don't, you don't fool around with anything that can like capture your heart, bring mental addictions and social addictions and emotional addictions to your heart. You be careful. You don't mess around with like fortune tellers and you know tarot card readers and hypnotists and and you even be careful of things like the spiritual side of yoga and things like that and the exercise, the physical aspect of it. I don't care who cares, but but uh, but but you know like the exposure to like. Hinduism or, or, or falsely religious things that glorify yourself. Anything that proposes to like make contact with people who are dead, that's soundly condemned in the Old Testament. You be careful of any sort of addictive behavior, drugs, alcohol, uh, uh, obsessive behaviors like gambling and, and, and things like this. Look, you have to be careful about all of these things because they introduce you to very real spiritual forces that are behind them all. And you look at me and you say, boy, I lose off this rocker today. No, I'm not. You're blind if you don't think these things. How many more evidences in your life do you need to see of people whose lives are emotionally, mentally, spiritually, completely overtaken by these things and they are destroyed? The point of this is God was involved part two. Because if... That was a little sidebar there. Getting back on the text. Verse 17 says, This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all in the name of the Lord, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. You might, you might read that and say that this is some great setback, right? But this wasn't a setback. This is like when Ananias and Sapphira fell dead back in chapter 5. All the, all the fraudulent people didn't dare join into the church anymore, but believers were continually added to them, chapter 5 says, right? This, listen, God showed up equally in both parts of this passage. That's why it's part 1, part 2. In part one, God showed up with healings. You know, miraculous healings that, you know, I don't think that, that Paul went out intending that he was the sovereign God. Showed up. But then in the second part, God showed up in the spiritual rebuke of these fake priests that brought this great fear upon everyone else. And the result of it is what? The name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So even in these frauds being exposed, the word that was spoken by the evil spirit in the man was, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, 
but who are you? And we're told that spread everywhere. So like even an evil spirit testified in such a way that it caused people to fear and turn to the Lord. Listen, God showed up. God was involved. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Right? And so that's what you see what's happening here. Is, Lord, did you hear what happened to Sceva's sons? Did you hear what the demons said? I know Jesus, I know Paul, but I don't know you. And then tore them up. And there, there's, there's a sight you can't erase from your mind. Seven guys running naked out into the street. Right? There, 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 there's something you can't rewind and delete. Right? But listen, the Lord used the shock of all that to create great fear and have people realize this Jesus business that Paul is bringing into the synagogues and and, and, and spreading all over the world. That's not Paul's hand doing that. That's God himself. That's the Lord at work. And the name of the Lord was magnified and it just helped spread the word even farther and farther. What's the point? Points six and seven are God was involved. Part one in the unusual miracles. God was involved part two in what the seven sons of Sceva caused. God was involved. That is a mark of a thriving ministry. You may look at it, and it may not look like there's much human success. But one of the marks of a thriving ministry is you know God is involved. Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, there's diversities of gifts, but the same spirit There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Right. So those are what we might even those things have been built up into being things in the modern like televangelist movement that they're just not. They're explained as like someone's in front of a TV camera and God tells them that somebody with some disease is out there watching and they need to like send in a... Do- Everything has send in a donation attached to it, right? Send in a donation and then God will do whatever, you know? No, just, just, just listen, it's not more than what it says. A spiritual gift, words of wisdom... Words of knowledge, faith, those are gifts from God through the Holy Spirit, right? To another, then you get the more miraculous things, gifts of healings by the same Spirit, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing, ready? Distributing to each one individually as he wills, right? Churches don't decide we're going to do this, we're going to do that. God works among them. God is among them. 
Romans 12 says, I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dwelt, uh, dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one... Listen, guys. Listen. Listen. We are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts, gifts from the Lord, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy... Let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry let it, or service, basically. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. These are spiritual gifts. But the idea is that the operation of these spiritual gifts are evidence that God is among us and is working among us. And they are an evidence of a thriving ministry. God was involved at Ephesus. God which should be involved here. God may not choose to be involved with handkerchiefs here, but God certainly may choose to be involved with wisdom, knowledge, love, evangelism, caring. And he may choose to be involved in miracles. And things that man can't explain. But the real true mark that a ministry is thriving is that God is involved with the work. I think I have three more. I'm going to save them for next week. All right? But you get the idea. You can see here these evidences, these marks of a ministry evidences of ministries that are thriving. As Christians who are part of a church together, we want to see these things. Maybe not in the exact same form, but we want to see these things happening on our own. You'll note that, you'll note that from beginning to end, what we have seen so far is that God is sovereign. And so the hand by which all of this stuff comes is the right hand of God. And his power. So we seek his face because we love him. We seek his hand because we need him to move among us in power. But what should be evident to you is following in the ways of Christ, having been saved by Christ, is no light thing. It's no casual thing. It's not something that you slip into your schedule of amusements and entertainments following of Christ is a commitment of the life. It is death to yourself that he may live in you and through you. If you hear these words today and you long for our ministry together to be one that evidences the thriving of God's own hand among us, bow before him and pray, seek his face, seek his hand, glorify him, Worship him. We didn't come to this part yet, but these people are so radical in putting the wickedness out of their lives that they burned 50,000 pieces of silver worth of books to get all of the witchcraft and garbage out of their lives. Because for them, 
They weren't trying to fit the gospel in. They were trying to live the gospel. We'll get more of that next week. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord God, that we can have insight into these things. That's from you, a gift from you. And my prayer, Lord God, is that in as much as you permit, we would hear these things and be doers of them and not hearers only. Teach us and lead us. If anyone listening to this is not in Christ, I pray, Lord God, they would recognize that Jesus alone is the way and the truth and the life and the only way to you. That you, Lord Jesus, died and took the penalty for our sin. Our sin is the thing that keeps us down and alienated from you. But you, Lord Jesus, died and took the penalty for that sin. You were buried on the third day. You rose from the dead. And now if anyone will humble themselves, repent, believe the good news, you will forgive all of their sins, cleanse them, indwell them, cause them to be born again. Reconcile them to the Father that they may walk with you day by day and ultimately usher them to everlasting life. May someone listening believe today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. May I please have our musicians, singers, come on back up here. And we're going to close with a hymn. I think it's 387 that we're doing. If memory serves me well. 387, is that right? Okay. 387 is O to be like thee. Here's what we want, right? Here's a real, this hymn is a real cry of the Christian heart. But this is what we want. We want to be like, we believe him, we've been saved by him, now we want to live like him.
Thank you, everybody, for being here today. Uh, keep, uh, we'll return this week to like our normal schedule of things, although there's no youth group tonight. I don't, I don't, I don't talk like personal stuff from the pulpit very much, but I have to, I have to say this because usually my mom and my sister in Pennsylvania are on, on every broadcast the church does, and like they're coming here this afternoon. It's the first time my mom will have been ever in my house since I've lived here because she just doesn't travel. And, and, and it's her first time in New Jersey in 22 years. So, but they're coming here along with my brother and his wife this afternoon. So we're having, we're having our Thanksgiving over there today. So isn't that cool? Praise the Lord. Yeah. And they're, and they're probably listening to me say this online right now so they, they can't get out of it. No, just kidding. No, no, no. no I, they don't want to. Um, but uh, for that reason, there's no youth group tonight. That was the long explanation, as to say. I admit I'm, I'm suspending youth group out of a personal thing that I'm doing, but you all understand, I think, for one week. I appreciate that. But then, back to the regular schedule. Tuesday, uh, we'll have our prayer time online. Thursday, back to our First Corinthians Bible study, okay? Remember everything that's going on in the life of the church. Remember that we do receive offerings here at the church, and your, your faithful support helps us to underwrite all the things that we vote on together every year in our, our, uh, our church budget meeting. And, and there's a box on the table in the foyer you can put an offering in, or you can offer online. And thank you for that. And uh, um, remember to pray for Carmen and for everybody else going through things here in our church. But remember to rejoice and give thanks to because he, Jesus really has overcome the grave. And we are speeding towards the end, man. And the time is going to come when the trials and tribulations of this life, they, thanks to the Lord and his wiping away every tear, are just going to not matter anymore. So just rejoice and keep your eyes heavenward. Right? Praise the Lord. All right. Brother Brian over here, would you close us with a word of prayer? And then after Brian prayers, uh, after Brian prays, we're all going to go. Heavenly God, thank you. Thank you for this time together with you. Thank you for this time together with your, your church family, the ones you blessed us all with. But it would be nothing without us meeting with you, Holy God. Thank you for the direction found in your word on how to have a successful ministry. Not a big church ministry, but even a personal ministry to know the right things to do from day to day. You show us. You show us in your eternal word because you care. You want us to do it. And you love us. Thank you, God, for this time. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's say goodbye to all of our, all of our beloved brethren online. Ready? One, two, three. Bye. Bye. God bless you, everybody. Let's go outside and hang out.